Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Battles of the Bands. Battles of the Bands is an opinionated discussion to determine why one musical act is better than the other. The ultimate prize is our greater appreciation and nothing more. The opinions today come from Kanem and Ryan. We have no professional backgrounds in music, but we'll act as though we lead scholarships on the subject. With that said, our format is simple. Each of us has listened to the same four to eight songs from each band. We've studied their origins and backgrounds, and now we'll pin them against each other for our undeserving entertainment. Tonight's battle, The Cure versus The Pet Shop Boys. Hi everyone, this is music fan, not music expert, Kanem. Welcome to today's show. Over there is Ryan. Ryan, what have I done to deserve this? Well, I was kind of wondering myself which hairband uh hurt you <laughs> do you feel like you feel like i must have been uh, abused and hurt by hair bands in order to have drifted into the musical taste that i have it, it's either a hair band or it's the eagles i haven't fit, narrowed it down yet but i think as we have episodes we're going to start to figure you out a little bit i i think we have already started to figure me out because i didn't even realize that the first four bands that i've picked for our battles including tonight's two are all british for one thing so you know there's a there's a giveaway of something and they all sort of fall into synth pop we had our new order versus depeche mode battle right out of the gate with our show and we're going back to the brits and we're going back to the synth pop there's some keyboards there's some guitars there's some atmospheric stuff going on maybe i do have a type um, that type is Casey Musgraves. We've talked about that before, but we're talking about a different type tonight. Well, God bless America. <laughs> well, you know, I do want to go back to my uh, my roots, my ancestors, which are the French. So next season, we're going to be delving into a lot of uh, bands like, I think, Daft Punk. I think they're French. I don't know for sure, though. They... Perhaps a little Golden Earring. Ooh, okay. That would work. Are there any other French bands? Do, 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 do Rammstein? No, that's German. So. Germans. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could do a German season as well. Scorpions versus Rammstein. Who wins that one? Ooh, Scorpions win all day long. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah, okay. ruin that episode. We can put that one to rest. Okay, we don't have to do that, though. And the only Rammstein song I know is the one that's on the Matrix soundtrack. Anyways, Du Hast, I believe. Du Hast, Mish. Yes, so uh, I know that song. But we're not here to talk about that kind of music. We're here to talk about two bands that I have picked. And I think I should probably explain why I chose these. Um, I wasn't headed this direction, and then you put this matchup in front of me amongst the bands I was discussing, and I suddenly realized we may have gold because I was going to have a very tough decision to make. First of all, in narrowing the songs down for these two bands, but then in picking a winner. Because, no lie, I could have picked 20 to 30 songs by these bands that I would have been happy to discuss and happy to pit against each other. Why do I like these bands so much, and how long have I been a fan? I've sort of been a fan for about the same amount of time of each of these. Um, maybe The Cure a little bit longer, but it's really hard to say. I started to listen to these bands both at the tail end of high school and the beginning of college, which is, I guess, my music formative years. Um, I discovered The Cure along with a lot of alt-rock fans when Friday I'm in Love came out, and then I went back and taped all the 120 minutes episodes on MTV and picked out the Cure songs, some of which we'll talk about tonight. And around the same time, Pet Shop Boys somehow were still playing on the radio. And then when I got to college, one of the first CDs I bought was the Pet Shop Boys discography, which was a collection of 16 of their singles and two bonus tracks. Both that and the Cure's Wish were in super heavy rotation during my college years. 
and I still listen to both of those. Um, I love those albums to pieces. I went back and got uh, the Cure albums from before that. I even bought Wild Mood Swings, the Cure album when it came out in 96, and then I kind of stopped paying attention to them. The Pet Shop Boys I stuck with longer. I stuck with through the 90s, and even now I'll check out their new stuff when it comes out, but they've had much more recent stuff than The Cure has. So these are two bands that mean a lot to me, both emotionally and uh, nostalgic-wise, and are bands that I find make me tear up, scream with joy, and feel all the things. So I love them both to pieces, and my winner may be a tough, tough blow for me because that means somebody's got to lose. What about you, Ryan? What's your history with these two bands? Any? Well, I'll tell you what. The, the Cure I've heard of, the Pet Shop Boys, not as much. Uh, one thing I have uh, learned a lot uh, just in the short time that we've been doing this is that when you get these synth pop bands, uh, you know, and to just blanket statement the, the way that we describe them, one of the things that I do notice on them is they all have emotions that move a lot of their their fans, the their music, their lyrics. So I can understand why you would have such a connection if you've gotten into them from fairly early in life. I didn't have that connection early in life. So my opinions on these are, excuse me, <laughs> Uh, my opinions of The Cure and Pet Shop Boys are a little bit more new and a little bit, uh, you know, maybe uh, amateur in the way that uh, I've not grown up with them. It's interesting that uh, you talk about the emotions of them because both The Cure and The Pet Shop Boys, The Pet Shop Boys more so, but they're dance bands in some ways too. Uh, there's tons of remixes of all of their songs. Um, well, not all of them, but many of their songs have dance remixes, club remixes that have been remixed over and over again, both for The Cure and The Pet Shop Boys. So I don't think most dance music, most what became techno, most synth pop, I don't think most of that stuff has the heart and the emotion that these two bands have. I think the best ones do. It can be dance music with purpose and heart. Not all dance music has that. It doesn't have to have it, but I appreciate that about both of these bands. Um, do you have our first contender ready to enter the arena? Well, the arena doors are opening up. I can hear the crowd. They are not as loud as normal because they're wearing face masks, of course. Okay. Uh, but uh, it does appear that Robert Smith and The Cure have entered the arena. I'll talk a little bit about The Cure. As you mentioned, that they are uh, a British band from Crowley, West Sussex. Uh, started out 1977, 1978. Some people call them gothic rock. Uh, I think that has to do a little bit more with their looks. Current members, uh, right now, the only current member that is still with the band from its inception is Robert Smith, uh, but they're also working with Simon Gallup, Roger O'Donnell, Jason Cooper, and Reeves Gabriels. Uh, the Cure were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019, uh, they have the British Video of the Year uh, for Lullaby in 1990. Uh, they have the British Group Award in 1991. Uh, in, and I mention these things because this is well into their career, if you're talking about a band that started in the late 70s. Uh, they've been nominated for Grammy and for Best Alternative Music Album, 1993 with Wish, and in 2001 with Blood Flowers. Uh, I mention a lot of these things because some of these uh, songs and albums we're not touching on today, so I want to make sure we understand that The Cure has some depth to them. They have a lot of 
library to go through, and we just don't have the time to touch on all of it. Uh, Robert Smith was awarded the Ivar Novello International Achievement Award in 2001, and I can tell you that uh, one of the interesting things I found on The Cure is that they're influenced by Jimi Hendrix and David Bowie, of all people. Mm. Uh, to date, The Cure has 13 studio albums and six live albums. Yeah, they do have quite the back catalog, and considering they haven't put out a new studio album since, I believe, 2009, that means they produced those 13 studio albums in, what, 32 years? So one every two and three-quarter years? So yep. I guess that's not a bad pace. Um, and you mentioned that you haven't heard a ton of their, their catalog. I would say my scope of The Cure goes from those earliest albums um which i think mostly the earliest albums that were the big songs up there were collected in one cd called staring at the sea i think they collected a lot of the cures early music from their first two or three albums then of course disintegration kiss me kiss me kiss me and wish those three albums and those are the albums that have the songs we are going to talk about they're kind of peak cure um and I suppose we should dive on in. How this works is we've picked six songs for various reasons. We picked six, and it's a lot to pare down, but our show is trying to keep to a certain time limit, so we got to pare it down somewhere. And those six songs for The Cure that we picked to listen to in more depth are In Between Days, Love Song, Just Like Heaven, Friday I'm in Love, Mint Car, and Plain Song. And then what we do is we focus really hard on three of those songs, in our discussion of this. Um, so let's start, and I want to get your opinions because I do not know what you're going to think of these Cure songs. So let's just start with the earliest of these that we were going to talk about, which I guess would be Love Song, right? Yeah, uh, well, no, actually, I think Just Like Heaven is the earliest of them at 1987. Uh, Love Song is at 1989. Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me came out before Disintegration. Okay, yeah, that's true. That's right. Yep. I had them backwards in my mind. So yes, let's talk about let's talk about just like heaven then. <laughs> let's start there. <laughs> well, you know, when I'm not familiar with a song or a band, and and not to say that I'm not familiar with this particular one because I have heard it, uh, it's not something that came out of my uh, playlist. Um, but I do like to go back and I like to see what do other people think about it? And more importantly, what does the band themselves think about it? And uh, so a couple of things that I did find, Robert Smith considers Just Like Heaven to be one of the band's strongest songs. And according to Rolling Stone in an interview, he said it's his favorite song. Hmm. Uh, he told his bandmates after writing it, I'll never write something this good again. It is a wonderful song. This was the song that when I was in college was the cool cure song. Sure, you could go around saying, I don't care if Monday's blue, which we'll talk about that song in a second. But most of the cool kids that I hung out with or the kids that I thought were cool and aspired to be like in college, they would say, no, no, no. You got to go back and listen to older cure stuff, not the stuff off of Wish. You need to go back and listen to Disintegration and you need to listen to Just Like Heaven. That is the joyous, wonderful cure love song. It has one of the best opening lines of any love song, particularly in the synth pop world. The show me, show me, show me how you do that trick. The one that makes me scream, she said. The one that makes me laugh, she said. And threw her arms around my neck. That's wonderfully evocative, wonderfully passionate, and catchy. 
um, and memorable. And the video, I don't know if you've seen the video for the song, it's the band playing in the clouds. It's a love song, they're playing in the clouds, it's a sex song, it's happy, and it flies in the face of what a lot of the mainstream thinks about The Cure. Um, the mope rock, the goth rock, this is a joyous song. I have been fond of this forever. Now, it wasn't my favorite Cure song back when all the cool kids told me it was, uh, but it's it sure stayed uh, with me, and it's a song that I never grow tired of. I did read a lot of uh, comments out there online about Cure fans that were not fans to begin with when they started listening to it and that they were influenced by other people. And as they continued to listen to it and went back and really developed uh, their liking for it, that the cure is infectious. And uh, this one, you know, certainly not a, a bad song on the Billboard. U.S. Billboard had it uh, at number 40 on the Hot 100. So it, it moved up very quick. Uh, I you know, my first impressions of it, just reading the lyrics, I understood that there was love involved. Uh, it's titled Just Like Heaven, but I interpreted it almost as a dream. Hmm. Does that make sense? Well, I believe part of the chorus is just like a dream as well, too. Well, so. and, and I'll tell you the reason why I asked the question is some of the lyrics in there confuse me. And I find that in the synth pop genre, one of the common traits is that they don't like to put their messages right out there where you can understand it. They want you to interpret it. They want you to chew it up. And in this one, two different lines confused me because it seemed almost like they were contradicting themselves, but I'm sure there's way more to it. Uh, the first line I have is, why won't you ever know that I'm in love with you? Yeah. Um, Asking that question. And uh, the second line that I have that confused me is I found myself alone, alone, alone against a raging sea that stole the only girl I loved and drowned her deep inside of me. Those are excellent points. And this is a, uh, that's the darker side of this song too, which might fit better with the reputation of the cure because the end of this song um, talks about the girl drowning deep inside of him. And maybe this is about a dead girlfriend. Or boyfriend can be about either. I, it, it, I also wondered if maybe it was a breakup. I heard a lot of of people commenting that this was almost a breakup song, or maybe uh, he was dreaming because he wasn't able to make that connection of why won't you ever know that I'm in love with you? Like he's not able to give that communication to her. Uh, this was written around the time that he and his wife were dating, so. I don't know if this was about her. I get the impression that a lot of what he wrote was regarding his relationship, which they are still married. Yep. And, you know, a lot of the Cure songs do have that. The happy, upbeat ones may not just be straightforward love songs. We're going to talk about two that are much more straightforward love songs, and one, including one that's called Love Song, literally. Um, you know, I think the song does take a twist and a turn, in it and you can get lost in the joy of the song but there is a lot in it that you can interpret i could see this as you know you could go the every breath you take kind of six stalker song you could go that way too but you could also go with the 
relationship ended due to really tragic circumstances, but those circumstances could be as simple as someone moved away too, and then this is what they're singing about as well. I I also read into this that this could be a love that he was just too afraid to ever confront. Maybe he never actually got to tell her, and that's why it drowned deep inside of me. Yeah, he never showed that trick, perhaps, the one Mm -hmm. who made her scream. So she was waiting, (laughs) and he just couldn't show that that trick to her but you lost and lonely i mean those are not happy joyous thoughts in a happy joyous song but i don't know there's a dreamlike quality and that kind of makes sense why they would set the video amongst the clouds what do you think of the song musically like you you've talked about the lyrics being confused by what they're doing and their their ambiguity but musically what do you think of the song i really enjoyed the song i i i I like the cure i think that they have a little bit more of a uh, connection to some more of the mainstream music than other synth pop uh, bands that we have talked about, and that might be part of my uh, attraction to The Cure. Uh, I also think that uh, they've got a look that goes along the lines of like an Alice Cooper, uh, Marilyn Manson, uh, that goth, that white uh, makeup with the dark uh, lips, the dark uh, eye sh- uh, you know, eyeliner. Um, it's interesting because the goth kids and the hair metal kids didn't get along mostly when I was growing up. And even in college, they still stuck to themselves. The grunge kids, which is kind of what some of the hair metal kids became, were not as fond of the goth kids. But stylistically, the glam metal, the hair metal, has a lot in common with the goth stuff. Grunge kind of abandoned that. And so maybe that's why there wasn't that connection there. Um, I, I thought that, you know... Robert Smith's look and his persona, it's hard to say if there's anything else comparable in that era. Um, I don't know, what are other goth rock bands that people would know still to this day that kind of copied that? Are there many? I think of like Susie and the Banshees had a lot of heavy makeup stuff and they're kind of in that world. No, I I don't know that that I could really put them up against anything. I did read uh, one genre description was post-grunge for The Cure. But that's about as close as we ever got to that. Interesting. Post-grunge. Well, let's talk about a more traditional love song, that song called Love Song, which was actually The Cure's biggest hit. It was a number two hit, which I had no idea, because it's not a song that... It's in my top 30, but it's not a song that would have been in my top 10. But I figured if it was their biggest hit in the U.S., it's something we had to talk about. And this song really does seem just straightforward, too. Um whenever i'm alone with you you make me feel like i am home again Uh, that's as romantic as you can get and straightforward as you can get i think the music's a little darker there's a lot of strings going on here or at least synthesized strings and robert voice robert smith's voice may be the prettiest of any of the songs we've heard here um i don't know love song is a song that's just fine by a band i really like so it still means i like it more than most music out there but it's not one of my favorite cure songs why do you think this song was such a big hit in the u.s well, I actually wrote down this is my favorite Cure song, okay. the Cure song, uh, and and that may be from my uh, lack of experience in listening to them, but I think that uh, it appealed most in the pop culture. Uh, the organ tune in the background, combined with the synthetic string instruments, uh, the transitions between uh, the verses. I wrote down the word haunting. Mm. It is haunting, and that that whole there's something 
That was really good, Cam. Could you do that again for me? Thank you. Okay, don't ever do that again. No, I will several times, several more times in this. That propulsion that that particular string of notes or chords or whatever that is together that drives this song to, to go along with the haunting strings and Smith's plaintive, lovely voice, this is a really good song. I'm, I'm damning it with faint praise by saying it's not one of my favorite Cure songs because it's a Cure song, and I like most of them. Um, but favorite, that's interesting. I guess you pretty much said why, too. It's. Do you find it's a little too on the nose? I think part of my problem with it is it's a little too obvious. Well, it might be. Uh, but you know what? Uh, the other part of it, there, it reminds me a little bit. There was a. There was, this may not... Uh, play well with our podcast here but uh there was a video game that i used to play uh that uh long time ago and it was uh, called f-zero and it reminds me a lot of the music that you would have played uh while doing this race car game even though it was synthetic uh organ tunes with with the strings it gave you the impression that there was some speed involved with it uh, and I don't know where that connection is coming from. I also know that there was another band uh, called Semisonic that had a tune that sounded very similar in the way that it was using that slow uh, synthetic transition, those haunting notes, but still had a drive to it. Well, I, I guess we both like Love Song, and, and it's fascinating to me that it's your favorite, because now I wonder what uh, you think of their biggest poppiest hit their second biggest U.S. hit in terms of chart sales, and that is the 93 classic Friday I'm in Love, and I will call this song a classic. Um, this song is locked in in my brain with Shiny Happy People by R.E.M., because I think they were out around the same time, and I think the band, neither band seemed as fond of those songs as the general public seemed to be, they were huge hits. Actually, Shiny Happy People was a bigger hit. I think it got to number 10 by R.E.M. Um, but Friday I'm in Love had a very cutesy video with Smith in his glam goth look and a rotating stage thing that a bicycle, old man on a bicycle powered. Google that video. It's a lot of fun to see that. There's a fun nod in Friday I'm in Love to Blue Monday, the New Order song. The I Don't Care If Monday's Blue is a nod to New Order, a band we've covered and was one of our champs. So I appreciate that in this song. And I love the way it captures the roller coaster of a romance, a relationship, of being with someone. It's topsy-turvy, it's windy, and in a given day you can have this whole week but weeks go on like this. This is a common theme in pop music, too. This is the Bare Naked Ladies one week theme as well, about how relationships have their ups and downs and turmoils. But when you come around to it, when Friday hits, you're in love. What do you think? Well, I'll tell you a couple of things. I, I didn't put together the, the nod to uh, New Order with uh, Blue Monday. I, I do know that uh, the term Blue Monday comes from the Monday typically that comes in after christmas uh and and i believe it's typically the first one in january and it was called blue monday because it was the most depressing day of the year and uh, i don't know where if that's a scientific thing or if that's just kind of a a social thing but uh, that may have also been a part of this what i wrote down in here uh for friday i'm in love is that he'll take all the downsides of his relationship with her, and yet still on Friday, he's in love. Yeah, 
and, and the weekend, the weekend seems like it's okay. Saturday, wait, and Sunday always comes too late, but Friday never hesitate. So he repeats the cycle there, and it wanes over the course of the weekend and then goes back into Monday being black and Tuesdays and Wednesday heart attacks at that point. Um, this song has one of my favorite bridges. I think that's the bridge. I, again, not a music expert, um, but the dressed up to the eyes, it's a wonderful surprise to see your shoes and your spirits rise. That is more fun lyrics and really catchy as well with a very catchy earwormy song some people hate earworms but when an earworm is as well crafted as this one i it's hard for me to hate it now is friday i'm in love my favorite cure song no is it in my top five probably um we didn't even focus as one of our six on my favorite cure song which is probably either pictures of you or a letter to elise but Friday I'm in Love, because of its global appeal and because of the fun, I figured we had to talk about. Because when the Cure, people our age think of the Cure, people between your age and mine, I think they'll often think of this song. Oh, I agree. Uh, you know, one of the, the best descriptions I read on Friday I'm in Love, and it, and it made me laugh because it's so true, is they said this is probably the most 80s sounding song from the 90s. <laughs> And, and that fits. Um, how do you feel about the fact that we didn't talk about many of the Cure's downbeat songs? Like, if people remember early South Park episodes where they praise Robert Smith in a couple of them. Yeah. Um, apparently, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are big fans of Robert Smith and the Cure. They talk about how Disintegration is the best album ever, and Disintegration is held up as this mope masterpiece. Do you feel like we're not representing the Cure well by not tackling any of their mopier stuff? Well, I think we have to give everybody a fair shake in this. And in the arena, the people have spoken. They want to have a clean fight, and they want to have uh, this done in a timely manner. I've, I, they, they, they write in a lot of hate mail. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I think that, that in a lot of our battles, we're running into bands that have much bigger um, – much bigger influences than we have time to really get into. And so I think that we have to still do it justice, put in the best three songs that either have been societally chosen or we have something that's personally driving us to talk about it. And I think there's one of those songs actually in our next band with the Pet Shot Boys, if I'm not correct, uh, that you have, right? Yeah, I, I will do that. I don't know. I, I feel like... If The Cure comes out of this battle, and if we ever figure out how we're doing our second round, we might have to delve into some of that music. But you are right, we are trying to keep this as concise as we can. And too bad for all of you fans out there of songs like, um, well, I guess songs like A Letter to Elise. We will maybe cover those in the Mope Battle Festival some other time. But you are right, it is probably time that the next contender enter the arena, and we move forward with a duo the most successful duo in British history. A little combination of Neil Tennant and Chris Lowe. These are the Pet Shop Boys. They've been around since 1981 when these two men met in an electronics shop in London and uh, bonded over their love of synthesizers and formed a band pretty quickly out of that and started producing music, including an early version of their biggest hit, West End Girls, within a few years after they had met. They named themselves after some mutual friends that they knew that actually were Pet Shop Boys, uh, and they figured it was catchy, and they stuck with it. They've been going pretty much nonstop since then and had a string of huge hits, both in the UK 
and here in the United States throughout the 80s. Now, their popularity waned through the 90s, the aughts, and so on, but they still gathered accolades, still had the dance club crowds, still were um, veterans and respected veterans of the music scene and the music genre, and were going to be launching another tour uh, with New Order. But that tour has been put on hold due to COVID. And I'll talk more about that when we get to the end of our show. Um, the Pet Shop Boys, as I mentioned, are near and dear to my heart. They are music that always has made me happy and have had just as deep a catalog as The Cure has. And so we've had to pare them down to six songs as well. And those six songs that were painful for me to choose with Ryan's help are Always On My Mind, West End Girls, Dreaming of the Queen, Opportunities, Let's Make Lots of Money, It's a Sin, and What Have I Done to Deserve This? And again, we're going to focus on just three of these. And I want to get West End Girls out of the way up front because it's much like Love Song in my top 30 songs by The Given Band, but not my favorite, although it was a global smash hit. This, just like Just Like Heaven, has one of the best opening lines of any pop song too. I'm probably going to say that about like a hundred songs before we're done with this show. But the sometimes you're better off dead, just a gun in your hand and it's pointing at your head. You think you're mad, too unstable, kicking down chairs and knocking in the table. Blah, blah, blah. I just messed that up a bit. But you get the idea. Um, what do you think of Westing Girls? Well, I, I'll tell you the truth. This is the only song by the Pet Shop Boys that I recognized and it was barely. Uh, so what I can tell you about this, and, and I know you talked about the unmistakable uh, part of, of the uh, first lyrics. I'll tell you that what's unmistakable is the bass riff opening up the song. Mm. Uh, and this is a little bit of a stretch here, but it reminded me a little bit of the Beverly Hills Cop theme song. Okay. Huh. <laughs> is, is that the oh, 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 is it that? Nope. You may have to edit this no, part that's... out because I, oh. that may so... not make sense, but it had a bass. Uh, it, un, it just had that synth synthesizer. The bass was the, the main part of the, the, the melody line to start it off. Uh, that's that's it Axel just... F. Axel F. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I know that song. Yep, okay. I know what you're talking about. Interesting. I've never compared the two. Huh. And I could be off because I haven't listened to that one in a while yet either. But uh, that it just that was what came to mind when I heard the opening of West End Girls. I think they have interesting noise that opens a lot of their songs. There's a song from the same era called Suburbia that opens with outdoor noise and barking dogs. That this song and that song kind of get mashed up in my head. Um, mm -hmm. I actually like Suburbia better, but West End Girls. What do you think made this song so much a hit? This is a number one song from the from 86. What made this so huge? Well, I think there's a little controversy in this one. Part of it is the song was released twice. It was. It was released in 1983, and then they went with a different producer, completely re-recorded uh, re it, and put it out there again in 1985. And it's... You know, both versions aren't that different. Sometimes it's a time and a place for a song, too. I mean, they are different. You can tell they're different when they put them out there, but they are the same song. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what it captured in the culture there, but it did start a string of their hits. I know that I've read that the song is talking about, um, like, the working class people in West End of London, I suppose. Yeah, there's um, a social element to it. Yeah. 
I don't know for sure. It's a story song. There's definitely a story going on here. There's characters involved in the song, which I always have fun with. It's one of the less straightforward, dancey songs, though. Like, a lot of these songs are just club jams. And West End Girls, you wouldn't necessarily think of this as a song played at your local disco or techno club. Um, so it, it's in some ways not representative of the Pet Shop Boys to me because it is less dancey. But it's sure as heck catchy, and that they do really, really well, considering we got a guy who sings, and we got a guy who handles the keyboards, and they somehow produce music like this. I mean, obviously, there's producers and such behind the scenes. But a, a thumbs up for Western Girls for me. Is this a song you ended up liking once you listened again? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I did. And I'll tell you another thing for our listeners. If you want to learn a little bit more about maybe what was going on uh, with the Pet Shop Boys when they wrote this, uh, it was partly inspired by T.S. Eliot's poem, The Wasteland. Wasteland. Yes, it was. And everyone should go read that. Pause now. Go read The Wasteland and then come back and and join us for this. Pause that. Read The Wasteland. Listen to West End Girls. Come back and tell us what you think. Yes. Did you go read The Wasteland and then listen to West End Girls? Yes. You did? Oh, and Absolutely. did you see the connection? I do, yeah. Okay, all right. I can't say I've ever listened to, read The Wastelands and then listened to Western Girls, <laughs> but I have read that very fact. Um, they, as we mentioned, had a bunch of hits, and we're gonna, the other two songs we're going to talk about are hits of theirs as well, both stateside and globally and in their home in the UK. Um, I want to talk about What Have I Done to Deserve This, because it r- helped resurrect the career of one Dusty Springfield who this song features. Are you familiar with Dusty Springfield? You know, I wasn't completely familiar. I understand that she is like one of the top artists in the UK female-wise and that uh, she had quite the hiatus prior to coming back and really hit it out of the park. Yeah, the Pet Shop Boys have had a lot of interesting collaborations over the years. I mean, they've covered bands like The Village People, which seems to make sense. But they've worked with people like Liza Minnelli, too. And they worked with Dusty Springfield on this. Um, A lot of people who grew up in the 90s through the aughts probably know Dusty Springfield best from the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, where she sings uh, Son of a Preacher Man, which is a song from the 70s, I want to say. Her her rendition of that song, many people know. Do you know that song? You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's Dusty Springfield, and a lot of people know that from the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, at least a lot of people my age. But I knew Dusty Springfield from her collaboration with the Pet Shop Boys from when I was listening to them in college, which is when Pulp Fiction came out, too, I suppose. You know, and I'll tell you just a a little tidbit on, on Dusty Springfield. EMI, which is the parent company for record label Parlophone, they did not want dusty springfield they had actually suggested tina turner mm-hmm. or barbara streisand for this song which would have been very very different and i don't think it would have worked no i agree and, and i just it goes to show that sometimes uh you know the history of things we've talked about uh movies where actors have been cast for certain roles and then later someone else took over or was cast instead of and how different a movie would be this is kind of an example of 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 the music world and and how that could have been and there's nothing wrong with tina or babs they're both fantastic singers i just don't think they would have fit this song very well no no i Um, agree what do you think of the song itself we talked a lot about dusty but what do you think of the song well i you know i wrote a couple of things down here Uh, He didn't want what she wanted in the relationship. And she wanted love. He wanted money. And now that they're apart, he wants what she wanted. That's the story that I basically got out of this one. 
Yep, it is another story song, and that's what I get out of this as well, too. And it's always that should have thought about this when you were together kind of situation songs. Yeah, you don't have, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. It's another song, but I mean, it gives you the same storyline. And there's so much bleak there. It's like, how am I going to get through? And every day, so many drinks, you know, that's, but then there's flowers going on, too. So there's a lot of imagery um, in this. And I don't know. I like the way Tenet does a lot of, or yes, it's Lowe that does the keyboards and Tenet that sings. I always get them mixed up um, because they both wear shades and they sometimes wear the same kind of hats and they get very mm. easy to mix up, these yeah. two guys. But Tenet does the singing and Lowe does the keyboards. Am I right? Yes. I better be right. Yes. Um, the way that Tenet does that talk singing, it's not quite like a Tom Petty or a Bob Dylan talk singing, but he kind of talk sings that melds beautifully with when Dusty kicks in with her actual more traditional singing on this. And I love the repetition of the what have I, what have I, what have I, which in the dance remixes can go on forever too, which, you know, when you're on the dance floor, that works much like uh, a New Order song does. Um, I was really torn about which Pet Shop Boys song that's this dancey and has a guest appearance like this, but it's hard to go wrong with what have I done to deserve this. Um, And I like any song that asks a question right there in its title. Well, I think it's very fitting that uh, this song came up. In fact, a lot of the comments online said that uh, this could be our theme song for the year 2020. <laughs> I wonder what the I wonder what the Pet Shop Boys would say about that. Um, they're one of the rare bands that we've, we're covering that released music in this year too. January though, um, before COVID nineteen really got. Huge. <laughs> they get an asterisk. Then. They do get an asterisk. It was before before we were all aware of the mess that we were going to be in. Let's get to our third song of these three, and it's something that's a bit of a controversy between you and I. Ryan, what's your take about whether or not we should cover bands doing covers? Well, I asked you the question about whether this is really something that we should do, and then I actually did some research on it. I watched the video of it. I listened to the Pet Shop Boys. I completely understand why we're doing it. I think that it's something that we do need to talk about. There's a lot that's involved with this. Uh, always on my mind, obviously, they didn't write this. They didn't even make it famous. Uh, there's two different versions here. And uh, ultimately, the Pet Shop Boys, when they did it, were commemorating the 10th anniversary of Elvis Presley's death. They also did Love Me Tender. Yep. And it's fascinating to me that like this song wasn't done in as a cover to be a huge global hit that it became their version of it. It was done because they were asked to be part of that Elvis 10th anniversary, 10th anniversary of his passing uh, special in 87. I want to say that was, Yes. and they liked it. It was popular enough at that show that they recorded this version of it too, that exploded. It was the Christmas number one in the UK. It got all the way to number four in the U S they changed this song too. This is the second time Always On My Mind has come up uh, on this season of the podcast. We also listened to it for Willie Nelson, and we didn't talk about it there because I don't think Willie Nelson's version is the definitive version. This song is much more different than the rest of the covers out there of Always On My Mind, and it takes the song and it reshapes it into something very, very different. You can look at the Wikipedia article about the Pet Shop Boys version, and they'll tell you musically how they changed some things, but they've taken a song that seems like a lament and have made it a dance hit where it could be a lament, 
but it also could be a celebration of hope because this is a song that talks about the the little things I should have said and done. Well, let me take take over a little bit here. Yeah, you kind of touched on something, uh, and I'm going to put in uh, my music nerdism of the uh, episode here. Uh, the Pet Shop Boys did add two uh, chords to the cadence of Always On My Mind when they actually sang those words. So Always On My Mind is said twice. Originally, when it was done, there were a chord progression. There was three chords. It was C, D7, and G. When the Pet Shop Boys took over, they used the same first two, C and D7, and then went to a G minor 7 back to C and G again. So what does that mean, really? Uh, the, the notes that they're singing were identical. It was the progression of chords underneath it that changed and gave it a little bit of that twist by putting a minor chord in there. And so for those who may not be musically inclined but can hear that something's just not the same, it's that G minor 7 chord that's doing it. Interesting. And that's the stuff I was referring to that you can read on the Wikipedia. It is, it's all out there, yeah. It's, yeah, and I wasn't, I have no clue what most of what you said there was, but I can tell that there's something different in this song. Obviously, it's much more upbeat and peppy sounding than most versions of this song. As I was trying to blather about how this song is usually a lament, and when you get to those lines about tell me, tell me that your sweet love hasn't died and give me, give me one more chance to keep you satisfied, I'll keep you satisfied. In the Willie version of this, in the Elvis version of this, you get the thought, at least I always got the thought, that there's no chance in hell that's going to happen. This is done, you're doomed, you're obsessed with this person, and it's over and done, you need to let it go. With the Pet Shop Boys version, I get a glimmer of hope that's carried with this, that there's still a chance that this could happen, and that this person is self-aware, and they could have changed. The little things I should have said and done, I never took the time. Well, maybe I will this time if I get that one more chance. And this is the first version of this song that I think has that. And you could strip away the lyrics to this, and you would still have an incredibly danceable tune, an incredibly happy sounding song, and something incredibly catchy. Always On My Mind was also voted um, in some survey in 2003 as the number two cover song of all time. And I believe by, it might have been the BBC in 2014, they pooled, they pulled listeners and they voted it the greatest cover song of all time. This is the definitive version for me of Always On My Mind. This is the version that will stand above all of the others and it's one of my favorite songs, regardless of who's performing it. But when the Pet Shop Boys knock this out, I, when I listen to The Cure, want to listen to more of their music. When I listen to Always On My Mind by the Pet Shop Boys, I'll listen to this song sometimes three, four, five times in a row. This is like Zen music for me. This is Get Me In My Happy Place music for me. This is them taking something and distilling it down to its essence by changing it completely. And Always On My Mind, I consider to be a masterpiece. You know, one of the other things I want to add, and you were absolutely right, is actually the Daily Telegraph that placed this version at number two out of the top 50 best covers of all time. Uh, one of the things that we have we don't talk a lot about, but in this one I, I did find it very interesting. Uh, did you get a chance to look at the video from this this song? I don't know if I have. Is this the one that ends with the uh, the lyrics from Opportunities or from? It the... is. It, it okay. does. Yes. And and I'll tell you just a little bit. And I encourage, please pause this, go out and watch the video because we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, what I'm seeing from the video, and they're two gentlemen in a car. It's an acting video. It's not for the sake of the of the song. It's something where they're acting a part 
and they're doing it in a time period and there's a storyline that's going on behind it and it happens to be that always on my mind is the song that one of the guys is singing uh the actor that's sitting in the back seat of this car josh uh, excuse me joss ackland uh you may have seen him he was in the mighty ducks uh he an older gentleman but uh very recognizable he was not familiar with the Pet Shop Boys, but his grandkids were big fans. And so he agreed to doing this. Uh, he starts out the video with some acting, and there's some there's some dialogue involved. Uh, very creepy. Uh, and one of the lines that he says, to me, it's a very uh, humorous, it's a joke, but he says, I'm bilingual illiterate. I can read <laughs> I can't read in two languages. <laughs> I have seen. I have seen this. Yes, and uh, this is, I believe, part of a larger Pet Shop Boys movie that they made. Too. My understanding that it had something to do with a murderer, and he chooses not to to take these guys, uh, and and that's where he gets out of the car, and he's using lines from other songs. But yeah. I, I just, I encourage if you really want to get deep into this, uh, always on my mind. It is a cover. They didn't write it. But I would argue that this could be the all-time best recording of this. And I think that the people have spoken on that as well. Yeah, and it's still, I can't get over it. I'm going to say it again, how different it is than the other versions. That's when I appreciate a cover. Like Weezer's been doing a lot of covers of 80s and 90s stuff. I don't like their covers as much because sometimes I can't even tell the difference from the original. That's pointless to me. But when you're going to take a song and do what the Pet Shop Boys do with this then you're allowed to do a cover and they did it super well um but you know weezer you can go out with yourselves too it's okay that you're doing that uh, i don't hate weezer by any means. Uh, well and 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 that may be for a whole nother podcast uh, i really did enjoy the weezer stuff but uh, it's for musical reasons not for uh, the making the difference on this i do think that the pet shop boys made it their own they made it a different song they gave it a new spark they made the lyrics change in the way that you interpreted them uh, there's so many things that were going on with this song that uh, i think they did an excellent job well the last question i have about both of the bands before we figure out who our winner is and settle this is of these 12 songs were there any that you didn't like and you don't have to go into why just i'm curious if there were any you didn't like i'll be honest with you i think that uh i'm not as big a fan of the west end girls Okay. Yeah, and I might rank that of the six we listened to in my bottom as well there, too. It probably would. But for me, it might be a little song fatigue. For you, it's probably different reasons. Okay. How about the Cure 6? Any of those you didn't like? Yeah, you know, that's a tough one. I I really liked the Cure. I liked what was going on there. Uh, Mint Car. Okay. Mint Car. Mint Car is the latest song I put on there, and it was the last Cure song that caught my ear and why I bought that album back in 96, 97, whenever Wild Moon Swings came out. Um, Mint Car seems like a retread of their other happy song, so I can get why it might not be the biggest hit. But I think we've reached the point where we have to declare a winner. I get to go last, as this is my week with my choice of bands. So do you have a verdict for us, Ryan? My verdict for this episode, I'm going with The Cure. Tell me why. I'm going to go with The Cure mainly because I think that, uh, as I've said in, in many others, you can put The Cure on to a shuffle and just go with it. And I can I can listen to it for quite a while, whereas with Pet Shop Boys, 
there's a couple songs in there I could do without. I, I you know, and we didn't talk about them, but uh, uh, they're they're not universal in my mind as one that I could just sit and listen to song after to song after song. And I know you've got a different feeling about that, but. Uh, uh, that that ultimately says if I have to listen to one one band over another for the rest of my life, who is it going to be? Uh, I also like some of the personality behind the Cure. Gotcha. Well, this was an incredibly tough decision for me to make when I looked at these two bands, and even when I looked at these six songs. These six songs from each of these bands are songs I very much like, and are amongst my favorite songs ever. And these are two bands that I listened to in heavy rotation just in my life before we even did this podcast. I listened to The Cure's Pandora channel because I like music similar to them. I listened to The Pet Shop Boys' Pandora channel because I like music similar to them. I will listen to entire albums by these artists and these acts. So when I look at these six songs, I couldn't separate them into Clara Winter. When I look at my nostalgia for them, my emotional connection to them, and what they've meant to me personally, I really couldn't separate them. I was able to come to a winner two different ways. The first way is I had to ask myself, after listening to these songs over and over and over again, which of these two bands would I most say I would want to keep listening to? That was decision one. Even then, I wasn't so sure. So I took an extra step of extra research because I really was at a split decision, and I went and listened to the 2009 Cure album, 413 Dream, and I listened to the Pet Shop Boys 2020 album, Hotspot. After listening to those two albums, I added, because I have a major long playlist for each of these bands on Spotify, I added two Pet Shop Boys songs to my playlist for the Pet Shop Boys. They are the band that I would want to listen to more of after listening to these six songs and other songs. My Pet Shop Boys list is longer than my The Cure list, and if anyone gets a chance out there listening to the song Burning the Heather, which is my latest Pet Shop Boys discovery, um, the second-to-last track on Hotspot is a beautiful masterpiece of a little song. Um, it's no always on my mind. It's maybe not even a West End Girls, but it shows the Pet Shop Boys are still relevant, still making good music, and my winner out of these so we have split decision dun, dun, dun. that means it might come down to our only potential listener out there my kid sister but that's enough out of us we will hear from you let reach out to us on our facebook page through twitter uh maybe we'll throw an instagram out there so you guys can really make the decision and let us know who's right who's wrong and we'll settle this once and for all so we can you have the ultimate power they do have the ultimate power on this. We're just here to make our cases. We don't even know each other's cases till we get to the end of this, too. Um, you guys out there, our wonderful audience, you'll always be on my mind. Ryan, you're kind of an afterthought. We'll talk to everyone else next time. <laughs>